Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the Real Matters First Quarter 2020 conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Lynn Fisher, Vice President of Investor Relations. Thank you. Please go ahead. Thank you, Operator, and good morning, everyone. Welcome to Real Matters Financial Results Conference Call for the first quarter ended December 31st, 2019. With me today are Real Matters Chief Executive Officer Jason Smith and Chief Financial Officer Bill Herman. This morning, before market open, we issued a news release announcing our Q1 results for the three months ended December 31st, 2019. The release accompanying slide presentation as well as the financial statements and MD&A are posted on the Investor Relations section of our website at realmatters.com. During the call, we may make certain forward-looking statements which reflect the current expectations of management with respect to our business and the industry in which we operate. These forward-looking statements are based on management's experience and perception of historical trends, current conditions, and expected future developments, as well as other factors that we believe to be appropriate and reasonable in the circumstances. The forward-looking statements reflect management's belief on information currently available to management and should not be read as a guarantee of the occurrence or timing of any future results, performance, or results. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and other factors that are difficult to predict and that cause, could cause actual results to differ materially from historical results or results anticipated by the forward-looking information. A comprehensive discussion of the factors which could cause results or events to differ from current expectations can be found in the risk factors section of the company's annual information form for the year ended September 30th, 2019, which is available on CDAR and on our website. As a reminder, we refer to non-GAAP measures in our slide presentations, including net revenue, net revenue margins, adjusted EBITDA, and adjusted EBITDA margins. Non-GAAP measures are described in our NDNA for the three months ended December 31st, 2019, where you will also find reconciliations to the nearest IFRS measures. With that, I'll turn the call over to Jason. Thank you, Lynn. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on the call. I will kick things off today by discussing some of the highlights of our first quarter. Bill will then take a deeper dive into our segment financials, and I'll wrap up the call with some brief remarks prior to taking any questions you may have. Turning to slide three, we were very pleased with our performance in Q1, as our financial results continued to demonstrate how the platform scales at higher volumes and translates to adjusted EBITDA. While we've historically seen Q1 be a lower volume quarter in U.S. appraisal due to the seasonality of the purchase market, this year the sustained strength in the U.S. refinance origination market provided a healthy backdrop for our growth, and we realized solid market share gains in both our U.S. appraisal and title segments. We reported consolidated revenues of $103.8 million and adjusted EBITDA of $14.5 million in the first quarter of fiscal 2020. On a year-over-year basis, first quarter revenues increased 71.4% and adjusted EBITDA was up by more than eight-fold. 
We estimate that U.S. market volume was up 25.4% in the first quarter relative to the first quarter of fiscal 2019. Our estimate of the market change includes growth in the U.S. mortgage origination market of 35%, which was offset by a combined decline in estimated home equity and default volumes of approximately 14%. The increase in total origination volumes of 35% comprises estimated purchase volumes that were up 5% and an increase in estimated refinance volumes of 105%. We also estimate that average loan sizes for purchase and refinance activity increased about 16 and 49% respectively on a comparative basis. We posted another solid quarter in our U.S. appraisal segment with market-adjusted volume growth of 16.1% year-over-year. For origination-only volume, market-adjusted growth was 30.2%. We continue to rank at the top of lender scorecards in our U.S. appraisal segment, which drove the market share gains with our Tier 1 lenders and some of our larger Tier 2 lenders in the main origination channel year-over-year, and in many cases, these gains exceeded our own expectations. U.S. appraisal net revenue was up 71.2%, and adjusted EBITDA was up 159.1% on a year-over-year basis. In addition to the share wins in the main origination channel, we entered into two new channels with our Tier 1 lenders that deepening our relationships with these lenders. In our U.S. title segment, Q1 revenues rose 91.9% year-over-year, and we recorded market-adjusted volume growth of 156.1%. We calculate market-adjusted volume growth based on our estimate of the total market. However, our U.S. title segment almost exclusively services refinance activity. We estimate that U.S. refinance market volumes were up 105% year-over-year, which means that more than half of our growth in volumes from mortgage originations this quarter came from our market share gains and new client additions. The significant increase in adjusted EBITDA and adjusted EBITDA margins in our U.S. title segment reflects the scale of our business from higher volumes. Our U.S. title segment accounted for nearly half of our consolidated adjusted EBITDA in the first quarter. And as we continue to grow in title, we expect to see this new balance of adjusted EBITDA mix on a more consistent basis. In the quarter, we went live with four new clients, and the sales pipeline continues to be strong. The heightened level of refi activity has certainly highlighted the need for lenders to add vendors, but it's also a tough time to launch. We are encouraged by how our conversations are progressing, and we remain confident in our prospects. We will continue to update you as we go live with new clients. In our Canadian segment, first quarter revenues were up 28.4% year-over-year, and adjusted EBITDA increased to $0.7 million from $0.5 million in Q1 2019. Driven by higher appraisal volumes from increasing market share with certain Canadian clients and a stronger mortgage origination market in Canada. The Canadian mortgage market has shown some early signs of resilience and with interest rates in Canada expected to remain stable, we don't expect any major market shifts in fiscal 2020. With that, I'll hand it over to Bill. Bill? Thank you, Jason, and good morning, everyone. Turning to slides four and five for a closer look at our financial results. Consolidated revenues were up 71.4% in the first quarter of fiscal 2020, compared to the same quarter last year due to significant revenue growth in both our U.S. appraisal and U.S. title segments. Revenues in our U.S. appraisal segment were up 70.2%, while revenues in our U.S. title segment increased 91.9%, 
and Canadian segment revenues rose 28.4%, each expressed on a comparative basis. In our U.S. appraisal segment, we serviced higher origination volumes for market share gains, new client additions, and higher comparative market volumes. On, uh, our average revenue per unit increased in the first quarter as we serviced a greater proportion of higher priced origination volumes and a lower proportion of lower priced home equity and default volumes. Transaction costs in our U.S. appraisal segment increased 69.9% year over year compared to the 70.2% increase in revenues for the same period. As a result, net revenue was up 71.2% to 15.5 million, and net revenue margins increased 20 basis points to 23.0% in the first quarter of fiscal 2020, up from the 22.8% we posted in the first quarter of fiscal 2019. Sequentially, we reported a 10 basis point reduction in U.S. appraisal net revenue margins coming off of our fourth quarter in fiscal 2019, as we added more appraisers to our network to service higher than expected volumes this quarter and in anticipation of volume growth in future quarters. We believe we are still on track to achieve net revenue margins of 27% on a doubling of volumes from fiscal 2018 levels. Operating expenses in our U.S. appraisal segment increased 17.8% to $6.7 million, up from $5.6 million in the first quarter of fiscal 2019 due to higher payroll and related costs from higher volumes serviced. The increase in payroll costs partially offset the increase in net revenue, which together contributed to the 159.1% improvement in adjusted EBITDA year over year. In addition, adjusted EBITDA margins in our U.S. appraisal segment increased to 57.2% in the first quarter of fiscal 2020, up from the 37.8% we posted in the same quarter last year. As Jason mentioned, first quarter revenues were up 91.9% year-over-year in our U.S. title segment, while transaction costs increased 63.7%, leading to net revenue margin expansion of 610 basis points. Over half of the year-over-year -year improvement to net revenue margins was due to the proportion of higher margin mortgage origination volumes serviced versus lower margin home equity volumes. In addition, transaction costs attributable to mortgage origination orders are typically incurred 45 days in advance of recognizing revenue. Accordingly, there is a lag between when we record transaction costs and when we recognize revenue. As expected, new refinance orders in the month of December, for example, were lower than October and November due to the holidays and rising interest rates. As such, net revenue margins improved as the number of orders we completed and recognized revenues for <clears throat> were proportionally higher than the new orders received in the quarter. Early signs in January indicate that interest rates have declined by about 300 basis points from the December peak, which may lead to higher refinance order volumes than December levels, in turn putting downward pressure on net revenue margins in our U.S. title segment. Finally, this segment's net revenue margins also benefited from an increase in the supply of higher margin capital market services relative to lower margin search services. U.S. title segment revenues attributable to reported volumes for this segment, meaning revenues generated from our mortgage origination clients, increased to $18.7 million from $6.1 million in the first quarter of fiscal 2019. However, our average revenue per unit declined due to geographic mix. Diversified revenues increased modestly, 
due to higher capital markets activity, partially offset by lower commercial and search revenues. Operating expenses in this segment increased to 10 million from 7.7 .7 million in the first quarter of fiscal 2019, and adjusted EBITDA increased to 8.4 million from the 1.0 million we posted in the same quarter last year. Similar to the fourth quarter, the scalability of our platform was on display in the first quarter of fiscal 2020 and delivered a significant improvement to adjusted EBITDA year over year. In fact, our first quarter adjusted EBITDA margin in our U.S. title, uh, title segment were the highest we've achieved to date. In Canada, revenues increased 28.4% to 7.7 million, while net revenue margins contracted by 120 basis points, the result of adding appraisers to our network to service higher volumes. Canadian segment operating expenses were uh, 0.6 million in the first quarter, down from 5.6% down 5 .6 from the first quarter of fiscal 2019, and adjusted EBITDA margins increased to 55% from 42.9% in the same quarter last year. Putting this all together, first quarter consolidated net revenue increased 87.1% to 35.3 million, up from the 18.8 million reported in the first quarter of fiscal 2019, on strong contributions from both our U.S. appraisal and U.S. title segments, as previously noted. And consolidated net revenue margins increased to 34% in the first quarter of fiscal 2020, up from 31.1% in the first quarter of fiscal 2019, due principally to the contributions made by our U.S. title business. As a result of our solid operating performance, consolidated adjusted EBITDA rose to $14.5 million in the first quarter of fiscal 2020, up from $1.7 million in the same quarter last year. And consolidated adjusted EBITDA margins increased to 41.2% in the first quarter of fiscal 2020 versus 9.1%, the 9.1% mark we posted in the first quarter of fiscal 2019. One final remark about adjusted EBITDA before I provide a few highlights on our balance sheet. In the first quarter of fiscal 2020, we adopted IFRS 16 leases and recognized a $0.4 million benefit to adjusted EBITDA as a result of adopting the standard. However, we did not adjust adjusted EBITDA reported in the comparative prior year quarter. Turning to the balance sheet, we ended the quarter with cash and cash equivalents of 80.9 million, up 9.2 million from September 30, 2019. We continued to purchase shares under our normal course issuer bid, purchasing approximately 0.6 million shares at a cost of about 5.9 million in the first quarter of fiscal 2020. With that, I'll turn it back over to Jason. Jason? Thanks, Bill. We were very pleased with how the business performed in the first quarter, making it an excellent start to the year. There's no question we benefited from a year-over-year -year tailwind in the U.S. refinance market, but more importantly, we continue to make great progress with market share in appraisal and title, and we leveraged our platform to drive scale in both of these segments, which delivered significant year-over-year -year growth in adjusted EBITDA. As always, we continue to watch moves in the 10-year Treasury yield which is a leading indicator of mortgage market volumes over the short term. We remain focused, however, on driving market share through operational performance and scale to build value over the long run. The strength and performance of our network once again allowed us to outperform in Q1. And so I'd like to thank our team and the field professionals on our network for helping us deliver exceptional results this quarter, especially during the holidays. With that, operator, we'd like to open it up for questions now. 
As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound or hash key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from the line of Daniel Chan of TD Securities. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi. Good morning, guys. Thanks for taking my questions. You mentioned that the uh, the mix helped with your revenue growth um, as well as your margins. Um, how, how are you looking at uh, – are you considering mix as uh, as you look throughout the rest of the year? Hey, Dan. It's Bill. I, I think, you know, um, we had a bit of a, a phenomenon here in Q1. There was a lot of things that came together, and I presume you're referring specifically to our U.S. title margins, uh, which on a compare basis, uh, obviously, were up significantly and also on a sequential basis. Uh, thinking comparatively, I think, you know, title, uh, title margins this quarter were, were up. Uh, due to mix as it relates to mortgage origination volume service versus home equity. It's a higher margin uh, service offering for us, so that obviously contributed on a compare basis. When we think uh, sequentially and comparatively, uh, we really had a couple of things play through here. One, the, uh, the really the flow-through of, of volume and how orders both came in and how we were able to complete orders and recognize that revenue. Uh, we had a higher proportion of completed orders in this quarter versus the, the order volume flow, and as a consequence, we saw you know uh, more revenues come through than than than, than typical and, and cost as well. And diversified also contributed in the quarter as well. It actually did more higher margin uh, search, uh, sorry, higher margin uh, capital markets um, volume than it did search. So when we put that all together, I think you know when we think about how this quarter shapes up against another, I think. Um, this quarter was a bit of a, a standout quarter. We don't expect a repeat performance uh, necessarily. A, could it happen again? Absolutely it could, but we're not expecting that as we think uh, forward into uh, the balance of the year. Okay, thanks. That's helpful. And then your cash uh, balance continues to build nicely. Uh, you've been using the NCIB to support the stock. Um, any thoughts on, how, on capital use and uh, how you expect to use the NCIB given uh, the, the run-up in the stock price? Sure. So, you know, look, at the end of the day, we're, we're always going to be thoughtful about our cash position. We're very thoughtful about and opportunistic as it, as it relates to our thinking around the NCIB. Um, you know, we're, we're not going to be out buying in the market uh, unnecessarily. Uh, I think that would be uh, how I would put that, um, Dan, is, is that we're not just going to be at all costs buying uh, NCIB shares for the sake of buying NCIB shares. Um, so, you know, again, we're going to be thoughtful with that. We always want to maintain a strong balance sheet. That's fundamental to what we've been saying and will continue to say. I think it's important for our clients. We're going to continue to have that view. Um, so, you know, absent an acquisition, we're just going to be thoughtful about cash on the, on the go forward. Great. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Thanos Moshopoulos of BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi. Good morning. Um, Jason, the MBA forecasts are currently calling for a, a large drop in, in refi volumes in the second half of the year, and clearly they haven't had a record of forecasting. So just curious to get your thoughts in terms of uh, how you think refi activity across the industry might shape up um, if rates um, remain in the same vicinity of where they are now. Yeah, that's a great, great question. I mean, I, I, I think the there's a lot going on in the forward-looking numbers um, from MBA, Fannie, and Freddie, and, and they often disagree with one another. Um, uh, and, and underlying it, though, to your question, I think, you know, if rates were to stay where they are right now, that, it, that would drive a significantly higher uh, refinance market than uh, those three, any of those three are calling for. 
So, in other words, uh, those three must be assuming a, a significant increase in rates relative to where we are now. That's correct. That's yeah. correct. Okay. Um, maybe secondly, can you give us uh, an operational update on, on the title business um, in terms of, um, you know, how much optimization or not um, there is to be done in that business? Is it just a question of scaling it now as, as new uh, business comes in? Exactly. Um, and then, and then from a product perspective, anything you'd, you'd call out? Sure. Well, in terms of operational, Thanos, um, you know, as we build out these networks, it's important to build them out in a balanced fashion. So we can't build too much capacity in advance of the volume. Uh, you know, we've stayed quite agile. We've stayed uh, responsive to the uh, strong volumes. Uh, this is one of our core strengths. I mean, we've been at this for many years now as a network manager. Uh, and so, you know, I think as we look forward, uh, if, if we were to have, uh, you know, a, a rise in rates and a slowdown, for us, that would just swap out a launch of new lenders, um, which, which find it very difficult. And, you know, we're being thoughtful at, about that and making sure that we would have capacity uh, to support those, those good, you know, franchise lenders to, to drive the business for many years to come. In terms of on the product side, it's quite focused and operational. Uh, we're, you know, working on our, on our uh, evolving our mobile capabilities, continuing to evolve them, uh, the consumer experience, and really around those getting better all the time at, at uh, logistics and network optimization so we can drive better outcomes for uh, both our appraisal and our title clients, uh, which results in greater market share, which just keeps the uh, operating leverage uh, continuing through the, uh, the balance sheet. So quite focused or through the income statement, quite uh, uh, disciplined to that end. Great. And uh, finally, how should we think about uh, corporate OPEX through the balance of the year? Yeah, I mean, Thanos, I think we've always uh, taken a position that we don't expect, uh, you know, corporate OPEX to run away from us. We've always, you know, been in that uh, 3 to 5% range, always thinking GDP, CPI uh, is always the, the sort of the view. I think when you think about this year, what you're going to note in Q2 and 3 is, is obviously we've taken a different position as it relates to how we compensate certain uh, executives in the company or executives in the company. Uh, in that, you're going to have a, a bit of an uptick because the, the uh, short-term incentive plan will we'll find its way into our Q2 and Q3 uh, numbers that we ultimately, uh, you know, took a full accrual of in Q4. So you're going to have a, a slight uptick in, in corporate OPEX in, uh, in two and three relative to the compare period, and then actually see a bit of a benefit come through in the last quarter where, uh, as I said, we, we took a full accrual of, uh, of our ESTIP of our, uh, payment to, uh, uh, to the Q4 results in 20, 2019, uh, which will not, uh, will, will not be taken, will be taken evenly over the course of 2020. So. Nothing meaningful to note there. Great. Thanks, guys. Uh, congrats on the strong quarter, and I'll pass the line. Thank you. Thanks, Anna. Our next question comes from the line of Paul Steep of Scotia Capital. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Great. Morning. Jason, Morning. could you talk a little bit about um, in appraisal where, where you're standing in terms of new wins and the ramps of possibly other Tier 1s or how much more share there is to take there, and then maybe we'll do the same thing on title? Sure. Um, on, a, on appraisal, our last reported market share was around 10, 10% um, where uh, we laid out a uh, target uh, by 2021 to get the 15-20% to 20% market share. Uh, we can do that without uh, adding additional clients and without actually the big banks uh, regaining share relative to non-banks, and we've seen that happen for the last three quarters, so that's, that's definitely um, a positive momentum. Uh, we, you know, are top ranked on all of our scorecards with our major lenders. 
we are, uh, have not been capped out in maximum market share with any one customer. So it's this continual execution uh, will allow us to drive that share higher. So uh, I think beyond 2021, uh, we, we, never, we, we never viewed those market share targets as um, you know, a, a, a terminal or maximal, maximum penetration. Uh, we're going to continue to uh, innovate, drive execution, and uh, you know, driven by a vision to be the platform for the industry. Um, on title, it's, uh, it's going really well. Um, you know, half of our centralized title uh, gains in the quarter uh, came from organic activity, not uh, market share uh, wins, uh, net new client launches, notwithstanding the market strength. And, uh, and so we're really pleased about that. We, we launched four uh, new top 100 lenders in title in the quarter, and that's a really hard thing to do when the market's so busy. The lenders... Uh, you know, we got to remember a year ago was all, almost a multi-decade low level of refinance activity, and so these numbers are up big on a year-over-year basis. You know, they're off of a, a multi-decade low, so there there wasn't a lot of underwriting capacity with within the lenders. So they're quite busy, and it's difficult to uh, you know uh, get the attention. They're certainly feeling the pain, um, and our pipelines continue to be robust. So we're uh, a little bit of a slowdown would actually help us drive some launches, which would be great for the, for the longer term, but we continue to pick away at it and we have um, you know, ample growth in front of us to drive our, our objectives. Okay, last one for me. If we think about it, um, you don't break out your, your R&D investment, but should we be thinking given the significant build in cash and as Bill said, the, the thoughtfulness with which you're approaching the buyback, mm-hmm. should we think that you're gonna potentially materially increase R&D spend in the next, you know, two years to actually think about new new products, new opportunities? Right. How are you thinking about deploying capital towards, you know, further driving the next product? Thanks. Right. Great question. So I, I would say with respect to the appraisal and the title businesses that we're very happy with the level of uh, of spend. We've been quite disciplined around it. It is one platform approach that drives the business model. Uh, so I think it's, it's steady there, and, and I don't see the, the investment coming off, but I see us staying on that. You know, as we start to look beyond our 2021 objectives, and we're starting to come, uh, you know, around the corner here, and we start looking at the other areas of growth that we've talked about, I think that's where our, our you know, our, our, our views on, on utilizing our capital uh, will become sharper. And, you know, I expect we'll talk more about that. Um, uh, later in the year, you know, where do we see us going uh, beyond, you know, refi title? How do we see that purchase market? Uh, and how are we being thoughtful of unlocking, uh, you know, the property information and the interactions we have within our space? And, and, and some of that will, you know, can have a combination of uh, organic and acquisition activity. And we'll, we'll be more fulsome about that later in the year. Great. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Gavin Fairweather of Cormark. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hey there. Good morning. Morning. So I'd I'd imagine you're in the thick of planning for the spring market here. And when I think about the environment, um, you know, it seems like it could be kind of a perfect storm for these uh, larger tier ones. So we've got the tier ones clearly gaining share. You know, the the U.S. 10-year has fallen off, and then spring market's always just busy. So Maybe you could just shed some light on kind of your conversations with the lenders and, and how they're thinking about it, uh, and then separately, you know, your view on how much additional volume your network can absorb. Great. Um, so, so I would say that the, the, the real 
sort of bottleneck in the volume is largely on the lender side. It's their ability to hire up underwriters, hire up and be able to scale before it even hits our, our door. And they have a few tools to do that. Uh, their first is the spread with which they, they set mortgage rates. And so we saw some of that play out um, in the fall last year, Gavin, i.e. Uh, as the rates, uh, the 10-year rates started to go up, uh, they walked their spread back down such that they were, uh, you know, not increasing mortgage rates. And that was how they could smooth out their, uh, their pipelines of volume and continue to uh, deal with some of the backlog of the capacity, uh, their capacity constraints. Uh, so I would say that, you know, what we're hearing is lenders are continually to build in capacity. Uh, they're not viewing this as a short-term uh, trend or activity, uh, that there's continued strength in the, in the market, and they're building capacity. And so, it, you know, to the extent that they do that, um, and, uh, uh, we, we, you know, we, we would benefit to the extent we're, we're driving continued market share gains with them, which, of course, is what we've been doing. Okay. And then um, on the HELOC and default side, you talked about a 14% year-over-year decline. Just wondering, uh, sequentially, are you starting to see that market find a trough, or is, it, or is the overall volume levels continuing to go down sequentially as well? <clears throat> yeah, I think, uh, Gavin, I think, you know, what, what we're seeing is, you know, when we look at it, when we dissect, um, uh, dissect that 14% into its two components, it's 30% of an estimate as it relates to the decline in default volumes and home equity was more of a 5% decline. So I think that we're, our view is that we probably are nearing the trough of, of uh, what is the bottom for home equity. Default, you know, I'm not as certain on, but I would, I would certainly say that I think that we're near the trough as it relates to home equity activity. Got it. And then just last one before I pass the line, can you just, um, Jason, maybe shed, shed a light on, on the profile of those four new kind of top 100 lenders in title? Are they more kind of regional uh, players or, or are some, they some larger kind of tier twos in the mix there? Yeah, I, I, I'd say the majority are on, on the smaller side and, and um, the, the you know larger regulated banks, uh, it's, it's tough to launch. There's more to the launch from their side. There's more, uh, you know, players involved. So, uh, where we are able to um, engage in a very busy market is lenders that might have, have less regulation around them. Uh, so, uh, but but doesn't you know the, the, the um, uh, you know the margins on this side of the business is is is, is significant. So, uh, you know the smaller lenders make a bigger impact on, on our title business um, than they do on the appraisal side. So, uh, certainly uh, starting off with low market share with them, and and you know as you saw. This is the same sort of group of lenders that we've been uh, launching and, and running with today, and uh, they, they, they provide the foundation for lots of market share growth. Makes sense. Thank you very much. I'll pass the line. And again, if you would like to ask a question, press star 1 on your telephone. Our next question comes from the line of Robert Young of Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi. Good morning. I was I was hoping that you could talk a little bit about um, the lag of activity and refi and in purchase for that matter uh, on a strong interest rate market. I think maybe investors might be looking for uh, the benefit of your experience, understanding how um, uh, an extended period of decline in in the interest rate and then potentially when it starts to to nudge up. How does the market react in the quarter after that and the quarter after that? Is there a lagging factor as people, you know, sort of jump into the market to try and take advantage right. of the lowest rate? Like, how does that work and how does it in interact with your business? Sure. Well, you know, uh, it, it's not unusual for um, a homeowner in the U.S. to um, 
first of all, refinance their mortgage uh, multiple times, i.e., you know, if I've got a 50 basis point uh, in the money advantage and uh, it makes it makes financial sense for me to uh, refinance that mortgage and then do it again a year ago, um, I'm, I'm walking it down. Some individuals, though, sort of wait and try to time the bottom of a, of a, of a rate cycle. And then they'll actually wait until, you know, or, or they sort of waited too long and then they'll wait for those rates to move back up and then they'll catch and refinance then. So you can actually see a... Uh, a tail of activity after a rate move up cycle occurs, uh, which I think is what your question, and that that plays over on the on the home purchase side too, um, and uh, and certainly when rates move up, you don't see a, you know an, an immediate stop and flow of, of of business, and then also you know when we talk about the larger lenders and they're in this sort of capacity constrained market, they have tools, i.e. their spreads, to keep those pipelines long, and so you can actually get a nice uh, 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 you know run afterwards. For us, of course, then we also are uh, recognizing the revenue later in terms of around the closing on our title business, and so you can see that sort of further benefit beyond when you might see a rate cycle start to increase. Right, and uh, one of the uh, data points that you shared in, in your deck was around the average loan size actually going up, and uh, is there anything to pull out of that uh, as far as that lag? Do, do the bigger mortgages go first, and then there's a longer tail, smaller? I mean, presumably you're a transaction-driven business, so you don't care how big the mortgage is, and that could be positive for you. How does that you're, work? You're, you're, you're absolutely right, and, and, and it's one of the challenges of looking at the you know, dollar-originated uh, reporting coming out of, you know, say, an MBA, Fannie or Freddie, is it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily reflect you know, true change in volumes underneath because a jumbo mortgage that a large bank might be more likely to uh, to originate, um, uh, you know, has the greatest financial uh, uh, benefit uh, with a smaller rate change than a smaller mortgage does in order to cover the net for an appraisal and a title policy and the other costs associated with underwriting it. So you tend to see the more the larger loans go first, uh, and then you can see, you know, uh, 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 the, the smaller mortgages be worked through. It's also when you think about the, um, uh, you know, the loan origination departments within these lenders, uh, it's greater financial sense for them to be focusing on larger loans in terms of, of their reward relative to smaller loans. So they tend to work down that way in terms of the pipe. And there's certainly a, you know, a, uh, a backlog here within, within the industry. All right, and then I think Black Knight and some others do some analysis around uh, the the level of um, you know homeowners that are in the money on a potential for a refi at a given 30-year rate, and they still highlight a very very large population sure. of you know homeowners that are in the money. And so, are there any factors that you could help investors understand? Like, is it banks that have you know, been unwilling to qualify these investors? Like, why is there such a large number of people that are still sitting out there that are eligible for a rate refi or, you know, maybe and cash out refi and don't do yeah. it? Right. It, you know, it can be qualification rates. It can be, um, uh, uh, you know, plans on, on, on a move in the past when they didn't do it. Um, it can be that there wasn't enough capacity within the lenders to do it and they got stuck and not unable to refinance. Uh, so there's a number of, of host factors there, but you know, again, that that total universe of of mortgage holders continues to increase as you know you see rate changes go down. So um, you know, back you know before 2016, you certainly saw some larger refi waves, uh, and then as rates moved up after you know Trump was elected, you know you saw lower mortgage origination volume. So all of that. Um, 
uh, cohort of mortgages is is strongly incented um, to, uh, to to refinance their uh, their loans, and then you've got the other dynamic that there's this very large home equity uh, uh, line of credit, home equity takeout market, where this record levels of home equity could be tapped for homeowners for spending sending their kids to college or university to do a renovation on the home, and uh, and those it, it's it's actually in many in many cases more. Uh, financially, uh, greater financial incentive for um, a homeowner to refinance the whole mortgage. They're going to get uh, could get better tax uh, uh, deduct- deductibility off of that. The long-term rate can be more attractive than the short-term rate, uh, and then they'll throw a cash out on top of that. So there's actually I, I saw a report this morning with 45% of the uh, mortgages that are being refinanced are have a cash out component even at these high levels. So you know, some of that, you know, not enough housing stock in, in the purchase market, maybe we'll renovate our house and, and refi the whole thing, even if the rate was the same. So um, you know, certainly the reports that I see as well as there's lots of, uh, of refinance uh, um, uh, potential uh, candidates uh, still yet to come. Right. Maybe just last question for me. You said that the you see some of your customers building capacity. Are they building a capacity in a way that suggests that they want to take share in this you mean all the components of the market that you just described are that the regulated deposit taking banks, you know, yeah. looking at yeah. that and, and building capacity for the future or, you know, should we think of them as just slow moving and maybe smaller banks will take share against them? How, how do you think about that dynamic? Yeah, I, look, I, I think if you even adjust uh, for uh, loan dollar size, uh, we've seen yet another quarter where the regulated banks, be them big regionals or the big tier ones, uh, appear to have taken share off the, the more uh, greater share than the non-banks. Uh, so you know, I just look at the historical there and say that that's a very good sign in terms of where they're going. Um, and I think there's still some tier one banks uh, on an individual basis that that you know really haven't turned on. Uh, you know, they might be at their 20% level of capability uh, in, in terms of really unlocking their brand and their, their branch networks and so on and so forth. Their customer bases in terms of, of originating and are you know heating that up. Okay, thanks for answering all the questions. I'll pass the line. And our next question comes from the line of Richard C. of National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, you, know, you guys have no doubt uh, done incredibly well on the title side. I'm kind of curious to see, are there any um, circumstances that your Tier 1s would actually roll out title um, you know, without a slowdown, like any situation that that would happen here before? Oh, for sure. I would say that we're definitely engaged in it. It's just a, you know, the longer that we stay in, you know, uh, elevated, elevated levels of refi activity, the greater their pain is that they need additional vendors. Uh, and, and yet, uh, they're very large organizations. They can move on it. So I would say that we're engaging uh, broadly with um, a number of our uh, largest lenders uh, and uh, continue to uh, progress there. We're not sitting at a standstill sitting here today. Okay. And then, uh, obviously, you, know, you guys had an incredible sort of operating leverage up till now. I'm kind of curious, you know, we sort of look out maybe a year or two down the road and you know, all things being equal, what's sort of the uh, potential upside in that margin? Like, where do you see that kind of peaking or what the upside is um, as we look down the road uh, when this business really kind of hits scale here? So I think you've got the latest numbers on what incremental uh, title and appraisal revenues actually 
did this particular quarter. quarter. Yeah, so I'll give you that perspective, and then we'll obviously tie it back to where we think we're going on a doubling of volumes and or for 2021. Um, So this quarter in particular, uh, you know, just thinking of appraisal and on a compare basis, so every additional net revenue dollar that came in uh, this quarter against the uh, first quarter of last year, we basically dropped 84 cents to the to the uh, to the bottom line, and even if we adjust for IFRS 16 benefit, that's an 81 cent number. So for every dollar of net revenue, 84 or 81, you're choosing, uh, went to EBITDA. On title, um, that number was 76. So for every additional net revenue dollar over the compare period of 2019, um, it was a 76 cent drop to EBITDA, uh, and even after adjusting for IFRS, it's 74 cents. Um, Longer term, I mean, we've got, uh, and we still feel comfortable with, Richard, is, is, you know, we still feel comfortable that we're going to achieve our 2021 targets for, for example, uh, EBITDA at uh, 35 to 40%, and, uh, or sorry, that was net revenue, my apologies, and then 25 to 30 on EBITDA. And then on the doubling of volumes, we're still looking, you know, at those segments in, in appraisal at the uh, 60%. Um, net revenue, mar- uh, sorry, my apologies, 27% net revenue margins with a 60% EBITDA and then not dissimilarly on title, uh, moving up to 65 and having a 30% adjusted EBITDA margin. So those are our, those are where we're uh, headed uh, in the future. Okay. And notwithstanding your comments earlier about uh, potential things that you may be working on here going into next year, uh, with respect to some of the things you talked about, I think you talked about mobile, um, uh, mm-hmm. Those costs would be sort of already baked in on those numbers. Correct. Okay. Great. Thank you. You. There are no further questions at this time. I will turn the call back over to the presenters. Thank you, operator. That wraps things up for today. Thank you for joining our Q1 call. Have a great day. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. 
Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. DLM's Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.